Welcome to the Caris Christian Center podcast. So, uh, grab your Bibles. This is Matthew 6, 21. Matthew 6, 21. On, you know, I had a few different ideas of what to share today, and I was praying about it, and actually the Lord spoke to me. He spoke to me about a week ago, then he spoke to me again yesterday, and then at 3 o'clock this morning he spoke to me. Anyone up praying at 3 o'clock this morning? A few people. <laughs> okay, so, anyway... So anyway, and the Lord spoke to me again, and then he said that he gave me this statement. This is what he said, and, and before I get started, just let me say this. Everyone repeat after me. We love, love. Brother Ashley. Thank you, okay. Because I feel like, <laughs> I feel like this, is a, this may be a, you know, it may be a gentle slap. I don't know. This is from the Lord. This is what the Lord spoke to me, and even driving here, it's, he dropped it in my spirit again. This is what God said. He said, I'm tired of playing second place to money. That's what he just said to me. He said, I'm tired of playing second place to money. Now, here's the thing. God's not an egomaniac like he has to be first place. The reason why God wants to be first place is because he loves us so much. He wants the best for us. He's a jealous God. He yearns for our attention. He yearns for our company. He yearns for our fellowship because he loves us so much. Because God is love, he, he wants, if I say need, people get, but I say need, he wants our love. He wants our fellowship. And all the way through the Bible, you can look from maps to the concordance, all the way through the Bible, it's all about a love story, about how God wants man and woman in fellowship with him. God wants to indwell his people, and he wants an intimate relationship with you. He loves you, and he wants to be in fellowship with you. You might say, Ashley, you don't know where I've been, you don't know what I've done. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter with the Lord. The Lord loves you. He died for you. He came down gave his best for you. He died for you, and he loves you. So ultimately, God's, God wants a fellowship with you. God wants to, to commune with you in a deep level. But what's happening is there's things that get in the way of that, and there's things that actually distract us from our fellowship with God. There's things that actually make God, if you like, second place in our life. And you might all say, no, actually, God's first place in my life. Everything I do, I do it about the Lord, everything else. But, you know, Jesus gave us this warning. In fact, Jesus warns us a lot. I'm top of old-fashioned. I like red letters in my Bible. And, um, you know, I, I still listen to Jesus' words. I know some people got off and said, oh, no, Jesus didn't really understand. The Apostle Paul knew what he was talking about, but Jesus, you know, bless him, he didn't really understand. No, what Jesus taught is still good today. In fact, the whole Bible is still good today, praise God. We, we, we look at it through the, through the new covenant we have now. So, you know, the old covenant, when we look at, read the Old Testament, that's old covenant. We look under, under the new covenant now. But I'm telling you, the whole Bible is relevant to us. The whole Bible we can interpret and get something out of. It's all inspired by God, praise God. So in Jesus' teachings, he taught a lot about being careful about not having anything before God, making sure that God is number one in our life so that he can get everything he's got for us to us. God's got good things for you. He's got promises for you that he's paid for, and he wants you to receive those things. And some things we can't receive if we have him second place or third place or full place. We can't receive him. He wants to be first place in our life. He wants to be our attention. He wants to be our number one, praise God. He wants, he wants us to put him in that rightful position because then we're able to receive everything he's got for us, and that's the right way it should be. So he gave me that statement. He said, I'm tired of playing second place to money. You know, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 21. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In, in a few verses later, in Matthew 6, 24, he says, you know, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. And he didn't say you can't serve God and the devil. If it was God and the devil, it would be easy. It would be like, I don't want to serve the devil. We're serving God. But it's God and mammon. And mammon is the voice of money. So I want to look at this. When you, when, when you put God in his right position and you make God your number one, you make God your, your focal point, you cannot have money or mammon as, as, as a focal point in your life as well. You have to disesteem one to be able to esteem the other. You can't have two voices in your head. You can't, you can't have two 
priorities, it's got to be one or the other. And Jesus laid it out and said, you can't have God and mammon in your life. So the Lord showed this to me. He said, you know, what happens is when we give, and I have whole teachings on this I haven't got time to go into, but when we give, what we're doing is we're showing money that it's not the strongest voice in our life anymore. We're saying to money, you know what? I might be broke right now. I might not have any money. I might be struggling in my business. I might be struggling in my finances, you know, in my, in my personal finance. I might be struggling in whatever you do. Or you might be doing great. You might be doing great in your business, great person. Everything might be great. Investments might be great, everything else. Either way, you can still have a focus and an attention on money that means that you're listening to the voice of money, you're listening to the voice of mammon more than you listen to the voice of God. Either way, it's not about how much money you have and haven't got. It's about where's your attention, where's your focus. And what the Lord showed me was, is when we give, I'm not taking up an offering, don't worry. It's okay. When we give, don't leave yet. When we give, what happens is, is we say to money, we tell money what to do. See, I just come back from England a couple of days ago, and, um, you know, England's our home country. If you hadn't guessed by now, if this is the first time you heard me teach, I'm not a Colorado native. People don't believe me when I tell them that, but I'm not a Colorado native. I'm from out east, way out east, about 5,000 miles from England, praise God, and, and um, I still had my, in fact, we was at this conference in England just a couple of days ago, and this guy in the hotel came to me and said, is it, what they call him, a linguist? Linguist, that sounds wrong. Sounds like pastor, but anyway, a linguist, right? He said, I'm a linguist for 30 years. He said, I'm going to guess your accent. And I said, go for it. He said, I've got it. He goes, don't worry. He goes, a lot of people misunderstand you, don't they? I said, they really do. He said, I know exactly where you're from. I said, you go for it. He said, you're from Australia. So what's happened is we've been here like 15 years, so I think my English accent merged with a bit of the American accent has caused me to speak funny. But what I was going to say is, is I was in England. I have people ask me, do you speak English? What's your first language? I say, my first language is English. I'm learning American, but I'm English. And I'm actually, we're actually English, we're English citizens, but also American citizens now, praise God. So we're 100%. When we went to England, we used our British passports. Should I say this online? I guess I can. We used our British passports, and they said, welcome home. I was like, God save the king. We have to say king now, I have to remember that. And then on the way back, praise the Lord, Britannia. on the way back, I used my American passport, and they say, welcome home. And I say, praise the Lord, the land of the free. So anyway, <laughs> I have the best of both worlds, amen. And I figured, you know, we go to Asia and Africa and Central America, we go to all these countries. I figured if we get in trouble... Then, you know, if the American embassy can't help us, maybe the English embassy will help us. So we've got... <laughs> Depends who's in office, I guess. Depends if we're going to get much help or not. So anyway, but I'll leave it there. So I was, at the, I was in England just a couple of days ago. And, um, you know, in England, you don't talk about money. Don't talk about money. Actually, don't talk about money. That's why I got in so much trouble in England, because they used to like talking about money. Don't talk about money. You know, don't talk about money. You know, let's talk about spiritual things. Don't talk about money at church. Don't talk about money. It's just talk about ministry. Well... I said this when I, was, when I was ministering there. I said, you know what? You might not talk about money, but money's talking to you. Yes. Money's talking to you. Money has a voice and it's talking to you. It's actually the enemy using it as mammon to talk to you. And it's about time we started talking back to it. So when we give, what we're doing is we're telling money where to go. Amen. We're telling money what to do. And I tell people money makes a lousy master, but it makes a great servant. Amen. See, money's a tool, T-O-O-L, right? Money's a tool. Money is something that we use to bring about the kingdom of God, to tell people about Jesus, to bless people, to help people. You know, I read 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 talking about how Jesus became poor so that we might be made rich. If we don't understand the purpose of why God wants us to be rich, then we're just going to lavish on ourselves and we can be very self-centered. And that's what happens sometimes. Some people get self-centered with this and think it's all about them. But ultimately, yeah, God loves us and he wants to supply our needs. But ultimately, it's about expanding his kingdom. Deuteronomy 8.18 says he gives us the power to get wealth. Why? So that he can establish his covenant. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 says he makes all grace abound towards you, that you have an all sufficiency in all things. I read this last night. 
may have an abundance for every good work, so you can give to more good work. So money's meant to be a tool for us to use. You know, when I was growing up, my dad was a panel beater, okay? So he had, he had all these different tools and stuff, and he was a specialist in his field where they would actually send him places to repair cars. One time he actually got to repair a Ferrari Dino when they first came out. I didn't even know of a Ferrari Dino, but it was a very, very expensive, exotic car when it first came out, round panels, very rounded car. And um, back then they didn't use filler or anything like that, or what you putty, whatever you call it here. So they'd actually beat the panels with hammers and dollies and things and actually use, the, use them things to actually bring the panels back to life and um, back into shape when it was wrecked. So this Ferrari Dino got damaged and they sent my dad out there to fix it and he'd have these hammers, all different sizes and shapes of hammers and then these dollies and they'd be, they'd be perfect. Like he would actually, he'd actually oil them and wax them. These hammer heads would be absolutely perfect. You could see your face in them. They were like perfect, they had whole sets of them and then these different dolly things and he'd go in there and use these different shapes of hammers and dollies to go in there and, and beat those, tap those panels, tap them around so they're perfect again. No filler, nothing to the, to the point where they could prime them and repaint them and it would look like new. In fact, this Ferrari Dino, he spent weeks repairing and once he repaired it, the guy who got it went and wrecked it about two weeks later. And he said, I'm not doing it again. He said, the guy needs to learn how to drive. But anyway, so. But I was a kid and I saw these hammers one time and I was like, this is great, these hammers. And I started beating rocks of them and stuff. And you, yeah, everyone's groaning, you could see what happened. And my dad was displeased with me. And the thing was, it wasn't that he loved those hammers and those tools, but he loved what they could do. He loved the purpose of them. And the thing is, those things could do something, making money, actually create things, fix things. And any of you, if you're any of you in any type of trade or anything, you have tools that you use to do your job. The idea is you don't love those tools, but you do love what those tools can do, what those tools can achieve. And that's where money's at right now in the body of Christ. We're meant to want money to come to us so that we can use it as a tool to see people. You know, it costs money to put on conferences like this. It costs money for, for pastors Mark and Trina Hankins to fly across the country to be here. It costs money to be on television and, and, and advertise things and, and do these things. It costs money to, to f- answer the phone and pray for people. It costs money to run a church like this. Some people don't even think about it. They walk in and say, well, this is all free. It's free to you, but it's not free to the people that are behind it. It costs money to spread the gospel. And you can help more people the more money you have. Jesus talked about the Good Samaritan. It was like, you know, he was the one who went and, and, and picked up the guy and put him in his SUV, drove him to the, to the nearest Marriott, swiped his Amex and said... You know, whatever he needs, I'll pay for. That's my interpretation of the story, modern day, Ashley's modern day English version. But he was able to help him. You know, Margaret Thatcher, the uh, Prime Minister of England, said if the Good Samaritan had no money, he wouldn't have made it in the Bible. Now, you can still help people without money, but you can help people a lot more with money. Amen. The more tools you have, the more you can achieve. The more money you have, the more you can achieve. So, so one of the things the Lord showed me is, is when we give, we tell money what to do, and we're in charge of money. We're saying to money, you know what, I'm telling you what to do you're not going to tell me what to do anymore. You might say, actually, I don't think money tells me what to do. Well, how many, th- you know, when you make a big decision, how many of you think about how am I going to pay for it? How am I going to make money? If, if God tells you to move across the country, well, how am I going to get another job? God tells you to give in the offering, well, how am I going to be able to pay for that? God tells you to give your savings away. We've had that honor a few times. Give everything away. Money's going to say to you, how are you going to get it back again? How are you going to live? How are you going to survive? How are you going to feed the kids? So on and so forth. It's, money's talking to you. When you make decisions, major decisions are minor decisions. You're going to eat. You look at the menu, filet mignon, bacon wrapped with a side of lobster towel, $65. Hang on a minute. Go down here, $12, go across here. Spam. When I woke up this morning, I fancied spam. That's what I fancied. Well, who told you what to eat? 
money told you what to do. So money's talking to us, whether we like it or not. The question is, are we going to talk back to it and tell, tell it what to do? And when we give, not only, see, giving is such a great thing because when we give financially, God promises us that we're going to be increased back. So when it, first of all, it's such a good deal. Think about this. It's almost too good to be true. God gives you the seed to give. Everything you own is God's anyway. You wouldn't have a penny to your name if it wasn't for the Lord. So everything you own, you're just a steward of that money. That's not your money. You're just a steward of that money. So everything you own is God's anyway. So he gives you seed to sow. St. Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, it says he gives seed to the sower. So he gives you seed to sow. Then when you sow that seed that's his anyway, he says he's going to multiply it back to you and increase it back to you so you'll have more money. So it's an almost too good to be true deal. That's great. But how many of you know, the financial blessings of sowing and reaping, that's just the start of it. In fact, the financial side of it is just the tip of the iceberg. Your giving can do things for you that money could never do. Your giving will open doors for you. Your giving will do things. That's some of the things I want to look at today real quickly, is the side effects of giving. It's the side effects of giving. It's giving. We talk about giving in terms of giving and receiving. But how many of you know, there's a side effect to giving. There's things happen when you give that sometimes we're not even aware of. And sometimes we rarely hear it taught, but there's things that happen when you give. And the most important thing, or the first thing I've got here, which I think is, is probably the most important thing, is when you give, it touches God's heart. It touches God's heart. God loves it when you give. Now, newsflash, God doesn't need your money. He can't even use your money. Think about it. There's no money in heaven. He can't use your money. He doesn't rain money down from heaven. You give to God, he's not going to use it anyway. He doesn't need your money. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills, everything, the, the earth and the Lord's fullness thereof. So God doesn't need your money. But like Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Therefore, God wants our hearts. And when we give financially and trust God financially of our money, we're actually giving God our whole heart. See, a lot of us think, oh, we love God of our whole heart. We worship the Lord. We stand up and sing. It's great and everything else. But then when it comes to the offering, we just we don't give anything. Or we tip God and give a little amount that just won't affect us. And we think we're honoring God. But you know, Proverbs 3.9 says, honor God with the first fruits. Amen. The first fruits of increase. And that's how we honor him, is when money comes in, the first thing we do is give to God. The first thing we do is give to God. We put God first place in our finances. So if you haven't got God first place in your finances, then you haven't really given God your whole heart. Amen. See, that's why I had you say, you love me. <laughs> I'm trying to help you today. If you think God's got your whole heart, but you're not trusting him with your finances, then you're deceiving yourself. Galatians 6 says, don't be deceived. James talks about being deceived, hearing the word but not doing it. You have to do it. And it's not the money you think about sowing. Well, I think I might sow that at one point or another, or maybe next week, or maybe another time, or when I have extra. No, it's the money you're sowing right now. You're actually giving God your whole heart. If you're not giving, giving money, you're not giving God your whole heart. So when you're giving financially, there's a part of your heart. I didn't write this. It's Jesus wrote this. Get mad at Jesus. It's not me. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I'll give you another five or ten verses. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you see what happens is whatever you love, you're going to give towards anyway. I could tell you what you love by looking at your bank account or your credit card statement. Love your grandkids. We've got a grandchild now. How many grandparents in the room? Grandparents. Come on. If we looked at your bank account, we could probably see how much you love your grandkids. I'm like, if you want it, you can have it. Just, my kids say, Dad, you didn't spend money on us like this. I said, you wasn't this cute. <laughs> we were too young, too broke, too busy, too dumb to appreciate you when you were babies. Now we're old enough, we've got some money, and we've got some time, so we're going to spoil our grandkids. It's great, praise God. And then we spoil it, give them back, and it's awesome. So anyway, whatever you love, you're going to put your money towards. Some of you love hunting. Some of you love your 
hair and your clothes and whatever you love. I told someone this the other day. I said, you know, you're already tithing. You're already giving. You've already got partnerships out there, whether you know it or not. You're tithing to Netflix and the gym and Ford Financial Services and, and United Mortgage Services. You're already giving on a monthly basis. You're already giving to these things. The question is, is God first place? Are you giving God the, the, the honoring first fruit of your finances? You're giving God your whole heart. You know, I wasn't going to go into this, but real quickly, Cain and Abel, the reason why Cain's offering wasn't accepted, everyone gets, oh, where's a blood offering? Abel's was blood, Cain's was, was fruit, you know, it was vegetables, that's why, and everything else. And it doesn't really make sense. I'm like, well, if, if Cain was a farmer and Abel was a shepherd, that's not really fair that Cain, I mean, how could Cain give a blood offering if he was a, if he was a farmer? You'll find this in um, Genesis 4, I believe. What it was is because it says, let's go there real quickly. I wasn't going to, but since we're here. Genesis 4, we're talking about giving, touching God's heart. We're talking about giving God our whole heart, which leads to other things, which leads to breakthrough. So this is, this is in Genesis 4. Look at this now. It says, now Adam and Eve knew his wife and conceived of, uh, and bore Cain and then um, had a second son called Abel. And this is, Abel was a keeper of the sheep. In Genesis 4, verse 2, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Verse 3, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. The process of time, if you study that out and read that in the Hebrew, process of time means at the end of the days. In fact, it means more than just the end of the days. It means the end of the days when everything was done and finished. Cain gave an offering at the end of the days. That means that once he'd paid all his other bills and used, you know, did whatever he wanted to do, at the end of the days, then he gave God the end of the day's offering. He gave God at the end. He put God last on the budget, if you like. Where it says Abel right here, it says Abel also brought the firstborn of the flock. So Abel also brought an offering, but he brought the, he brought the first fruit. He brought the firstborn of his flock. If there were sheep, he brought the first sheep. If it was a cow, he brought the first cow. Whatever it was, he brought the first. So Abel gave God the last. Cain gave God, sorry, uh, Cain gave God the last. Abel God gave the, the first. And Abel didn't know whether he was going to have a second sheep or a third sheep or a full sheep. He just gave the first sheep to God to honor him and to worship him. He put God first place in his finances. Cain waited till the end of days. Let's make sure we pay our mortgage. Let's make sure we pay, you know, do this. Let's make sure we take care of this. Make sure we're paying for our subscriptions. Make sure we're, we're you know, going out to eat. I need new shoes. Kids need this. Kids need that. And at the end of the day, well, what have we got left? Okay, we can give God an offering at the end. Gone quiet. There's a difference. There's a big difference how we give between the first and the last. There's a very big difference. So that's why people get all confused about this. It's very simple. Abel trusted God first place. He put God as his first priority. He put God as his number one in his life. Cain just waited till the end of the days, in the process of time, the end of days. And God wants our whole hearts. He wants us to put him number one. And the way we do this is by giving to him first. So I believe that when we give, it touches God's heart. So I've got a few things here. So first of all, without faith, um, Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, have you know, it takes faith to give to God first. You don't know what's coming next. You don't know what the month has entailed. You don't know what else is happening. It takes faith to give to God first. I talked about this last night. It takes faith to give generously, because when you give generously, your soul and your flesh will freak out. Like, how are we going to make this work? Mammon will start speaking to you. So you can't give that amount of money away. How is this going to work? But right here in the scripture, it says about faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you're not giving by faith, then you need to question your giving. Give by faith. And God set this up so fair that everybody can participate. I love it. It's a great, it's a great promise. 
So faith pleases God because it means that we're putting him first and saying, God, we trust you and we love you. Whatever, whatever we really love and honor is going to get our money. And if it's, if it's the Lord, then it's going to be the Lord gets our money. That's why um, it says, honor the Lord with your, your possessions, the first fruit of all your increase. Now, then he gives you a promise, right, in verse 10. But here's my thing. If there was no promise about financial increase, I'd still give. If there was no promise of financial increase in this life, I would still give for all the other benefits. One, because it honors God and it's worshiping to God, putting him first. But there's so many other benefits. Why would you not want to give? But the promise is he's going to fill your barns aplenty and your, new, your uh, vats are going to overflow with new wine. So God's going to give it back multiplied anyway. But when we give, it blesses God. It touches God's heart. There's a great story in Acts 10 about a guy called Cornelius. And Cornelius was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. And actually Cornelius, it says that he prayed... He was a devout man. He prayed this in Acts 10. He was a devout man. He prayed, and he gave generously. In verse 2, he said he gave generously. Some translation says alms giving, benevolent giving, but he gave generously. He was a giver, and he loved to give. And in verse 4 of, of uh, Acts 10, it actually says right here, it says, your prayers and your giving, one translation says, your prayers and your generous giving have come up before the Lord as a remembrance. It's like a reminder. It's like a sweet smell and aroma. The Lord noticed Cornelius' giving. He noticed it. Don't think God is not interested in our giving. Jesus sat opposite the treasury to watch how people gave. There's whole books in the, in the Old Testament dedicated to giving. Chapters and chapters and chapters about giving. Very specific ways to give and how not to give and how to give and everything else. God's the same. He changes not. God is very interested in our giving. Ultimately, because he's interested in our heart. He wants to know where our hearts are at. He wants our whole hearts because he loves us. You know, I remember, I've told this story here before, but I'll tell it again. It's a good story. I want to hear it. Um, they... You know, Caris Christian Center is very missions-oriented. They send a lot of money out to missions and do a lot of things um, for, for missionaries and missions, which I love. I think it's awesome. And they had a missions banquet here. It was actually in the old building. And I was uh, honored to take up the offering. Well, they set it up nice. It was a beautiful place. And they had uh, round tables. And, and everyone was done serving the food and stuff. It was real nice. But a snowstorm came in. So no one could get there. It was, I don't know, a couple of feet of snow. It's Colorado, right? If you're watching online, it's beautiful here. Come out here, move here. It's beautiful. It only snows now and again. But it snowed, a snowstorm, so people weren't there. So there must have been set up for 200 people. There must have been 10 people there. And about five of those people were the missionaries' kids. So anyway, I took up the offering. I put what I thought was a good offering in the offering. And then I walked out. It was the end of the service, end of the time. So I walked out. And as I was walking out, I was just praying in the Holy Ghost. If you don't pray in the Holy Ghost, you need to pray in the Holy Ghost, praise God. It will set you free. And practice it. Pray in the Holy Ghost for any extended amounts of time. I tell people... You know, when you pray in the Holy Ghost, it forces you into the realm of faith. Because what happens is if you pray in the Holy Ghost for any amount of time, your mind, your natural mind is going to say, you're wasting your time, you're doing it wrong, why are you doing this, it's a waste of time. Your natural mind doesn't like it, but don't worry, it's your spirit praying directly to God's spirit. It bypasses your natural mind and it will force you into faith. If you say to me, Ashley, how do I get into faith more? I want to know, I want to get into faith more, I want to guide my heart into faith more. Give a bunch of money away and pray in the Holy Ghost. That'll force you into faith. It will, it, will, it will drag your soul, kicking and screaming. Sometimes our unrenewed side of us, our soul, our flesh, is like, it's like a toddler, right? Sometimes you just got to drag it and say, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to do the right thing. That's it. You don't always let a toddler just have its own way. It could be dangerous. It could, be, it could harm it. It could not be best for it. So you know best, so you drag it along. So your spirit drags your soul and your flesh along. Come on, we're going to get into faith today. Let's pray a couple of hours in tongues and see what happens. Come on, we're going to get in faith today. Let's fast today and see what happens. You start fasting, your flesh will freak out. 9.30 in the morning. We're going to die. No, you're not. It's going to be okay. 
And everywhere you go, there's people eating joint food. You never see that normally. You wouldn't normally drive down Academy Boulevard and someone's eating a burger, walking down the sidewalk. But the day you fast, that will happen. So anyway, but you, you're teaching your flesh and your, and your soul what to do. You're, you're letting your spirit lead. And the same with giving. When you give your flesh, you're going to have to drag it along, kicking and screaming. So anyway, I, I was walking out there and I started praying the Holy Ghost. And as I was praying the Holy Ghost, walking down the hallway, this is the Elton building, the Lord dropped into my spirit as clear as day. He said, that $10,000 you saved up to buy a house, we, we was newly moved over here and we, we didn't own a house yet, we was renting a house. That $10,000 you saved up to buy that house, the down payment, turn around and give that to that missionary. Do you know what I did? I was very spiritual. I went, I can't hear you, Lord. I was like, it must be the devil telling me to do this. I'm a you, devil. But I knew when it was the Lord speaking to me. I could hear the Lord's voice, you know, my Noah. I called Carly. I said, I think the Lord's telling us to give that $10,000 away. She went, are you sure? I said, I'm about 90% sure. See, I'm never really 100% sure until afterwards. Afterwards, I can look back and say, that was God. Praise God. But at the time, it's always like 90% sure. You know? So I said, I'm about 90% sure. She said, well, if you really want to, so if you think it's God, I said, I think it's God. So she said, okay, let's do it. So anyway, cut long story short, I called the guy, got a check made out, saw him the next day, gave him the check. He saw how much money was the check was. As he took it from me, he started crying. This missionary from Asia started crying. And as the check left my hands, I started crying. <laughs> it's gone. My money's gone. He said to me, he said he'd been believing God for that money. That was the exact amount of money he needed to finish building his Bible school. He's a Rhema graduate in my mind. He was waiting to build his Bible school, and he, was, he needed that amount of money to finish building it. And now he could finish building it, praise God. I was at the right place at the right time, him with God. But here's the thing. My flesh was saying, it's gone. It took you ages to save up that $10,000. How are you going to buy a house now? It's gone. Well, we got a house supernaturally after that. And that house was a supernatural purchase, and then we actually paid, paid it off supernaturally. A whole other story of, of faith, praise God. But when I got back in my truck and started driving home, I started thanking God. I felt a release. Do you know why? Because I was, I was obedient. I was obedient to the voice of God. And I started thanking God. I was like, thank you, Lord, this missionary is going to use that money. Much more important than me buying a house is using that money to see all these graduates graduate, Bible school. Who knows the fruit of that, right? That's like a perpetual giving seed. And I was just thanking God and worshiping God in my truck. I didn't have my eyes closed. I had my eyes open when I was driving. And, and the Lord spoke to me. The presence of the Lord filled that truck. Tangible presence. This probably only happened to me maybe half a dozen times, like I say. It was so strong, the presence of the Lord. I had to pull the car over. I had to pull the vehicle over. It was so strong. And in one voice, the Lord said to me, thank you. And this is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, I've been trying to get that money to that missionary for months, but they couldn't hear me. I kept telling people and they couldn't hear me. And he reminded me when we first got married, when me and Carly first got married, whatever that was then, 15 years earlier, he reminded me, he said, when you first got married, 19, 20 years old, your first priority was giving. In fact, we used to write out faith checks. We used to get, we'd get checkbooks and be like, what would it be like to give $1,000? Write it out. Wow. Muscle memory. What would it be like to give $10,000, write it out. We didn't have no money. I think our first year of marriage, we lived on $6,000 for a year. We had our own house, our own car. It was a miracle. We had no money. No heating. True story. Hardly any food. I went to the store. I had to decide whether to buy cereal or coffee. I was like, am I going to be hungry and tired or tired and hungry? This is a difficult decision. <laughs> we had no money. But you know what we did from day one? We started dreaming about giving big. And when money came in, we used to give off of it at least 10% every time the money came in. And we used to dream about giving, and we dreamt about giving, what would it be like to give $10,000? What would it be like to give $100,000? We were already thinking this way. The Lord said, you were already thinking, that was already in your heart. You was able to hear my voice in that area. He says, there's a lot of people that wouldn't even consider ever giving away their savings. Would never consider giving away large amounts of money because it's not, it's not in their heart. And I speak to them and they can't hear me. 
and therefore they're letting money be the louder voice than, than me, than God. And it really spoke to me. I was like, wow, and that touched God's heart. See, giving touches God's heart. Why? Because he wants our heart. There's other stories I ain't got time to go into, but if you want to look them up, Luke 19 is a great story about Zacchaeus. True repentance. He caught Jesus' attention. He said, Lord, whatever I've stolen from people, I'm going to give them double back. I'm going to, if, I've, if I've mis-wronged anyone, here's half my wealth I'm going to give. He was a tax collector. He was a tax collector. And yet, right here, he got, God's, he got Jesus' attention. He got God's attention and said, I'm going to give. And if I've wronged anyone, I'll give them four times back. That was someone who really understood, put God first, and was, was willing to show it with his finances. Another great story is Mark 14, when, you know, this is in, in uh, three of the Gospels, but Mark 14, when Mary anointed Jesus. She was putting God first. She used her resources to worship the Lord. She used her resources to worship Jesus. Very, very powerful. So when we give, it actually touches God's heart. You know, 2 Corinthians 9 talks about how God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver, someone who's willing to put God first and go for it. And sometimes when you give, your flesh is freaking out. The only thing you can do is laugh because it's either laugh or cry. So be a cheerful giver. That word means hilarious. Be a hilarious giver. Be a prompt to do it giver. Be someone who says, God says yes. God says do it. I'll say yes. If God tells me to give, I'm going to give. I'm going to be a prompt to do it giver. A prompt to do it giver. Some of you may think, well, what about my spouse? Don't worry, I already spoke to them. They said it's okay. You can give. So I've got here, it touches God's heart. Our giving touches God's heart. It really does. It does something. It gets his attention. Does he love you anymore? No. Is it going to, you know, there's, there's, but you can actually love God more. You can receive the things of God more when you give him your whole heart, when you give him your whole heart. It also touches our hearts. It touches our hearts. You know, um, where our treasure is, that's where our hearts are. Uh, Proverbs 23.19, it says, you can guide your heart in the way. Proverbs 23.19 says, you can guide your heart. How do you guide your heart? By giving. If, you're, if your heart follows your treasure, then how do you guide your heart? By giving. When you give, you're guiding your heart into the things of God. I have people say to me, I want to just love God more. I say, well, give your money away to the gospel, and you'll love God more. And they think I'm joking. Give to God, and watch what happens with your heart. Now, there's a balance to this. I haven't got time to balance it all out. Don't do what I did early on. I did some things where I like bribed God and I was like, well, if I give all my money away, God's going to have to multiply it back to me. And I actually started trusting in my giving and I started manipulating the system and I started thinking, well, if I do this, I don't have to work. I'm, you know, back when I was in Bible school, I'm a full-time minister. I don't have to work, but I can just give. And you know what? I'm just going to receive that promise when man's going to give into my bosom. It's going to be awesome. Don't do things like that. But know this, okay? When you give, God's, when you put your hand to something, God's going to multiply what you put your hand to. In fact, you give devotionally. You give devotional money. You give, you give money to the gospel, whether it's church, missionaries, ministries, however you give. You give money devotionally. What happens is the Lord gives it back to you transactionally. When you go to work, you get a raise. Your house goes up in value. You get that tax refund. All of a sudden, there's, there's promotions happening. All of a sudden, you get more contracts, more business. Your works of your hands become blessed. God gives it back to you transactionally. Now, we can give it back to your devotion. Sometimes people come up to you and give you money. That's great. But we really shouldn't we be rejoicing over the ones receiving that. We should be the ones wanting to do the giving. People get all excited. Someone gave me money. That's great. That's awesome. But we should be more excited about giving money. You know, Acts 20, 35, Jesus says in Acts 20, 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And it really is. It's more blessed to give than to receive. We should be the ones wanting to give. A friend of mine got a brand new Cadillac a few years ago. And there was people murmuring, oh, I wish I had a rich friend that gave me a Cadillac. And I said, no, you should want to be the rich friend that gives the Cadillacs. So it touches our hearts. Money touches our hearts. It's tied together. I don't even understand fully how it works, but I can guarantee you, if you just all of a sudden got a bill for $10,000, your heart would be moved. But then if you got a check for $10,000 in your favor, your heart would be moved. It moves us at a heart level. While we're on this planet, people say, well, I'm more spiritual than that, Ashley. Well, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. Tell me how you did it. 
But I'm telling you, a lot of the time, when it comes to money, it, it touches at a heart level. Jesus showed us this time and time again. In fact, what happens is, is if we're not careful, Jesus warns us about this in Luke 12. Look at this in Luke 12. He warns us about this. I like this story, actually, in Luke 12. Luke 12 is a, is a great parable that Jesus tells. He's got these people. He was teaching the lawyers, and these people shouted out a question to him and said, basically wanted Jesus to be their, their judge, their arbiter, if you like. He said, um, where should you pick this up from? Luke 12, 13. Let's look at verse 13. Luke 12, 13. No, that's not right. I'm in Mark, that's why. Luke 12. So that's a good verse. I was worried what happened there. Luke 12, 13. Okay, so Jesus here is teaching, and then um, someone shouts out, one of the crowds said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You know, money will split families. Money will cause rifts. Money will break friendship. Money will, will cause... Church splits cause all sorts of things if it's not dealt with because, like I said, it's, it's operating at a heart level. And mammon, the enemy is using mammon to get to us. That's why we have to make sure that we're telling money what to do and money's not telling us what to do. If it can cause rifts, it can cause problems. That's why I don't lend money to, personally, I don't lend money to people. It changes the relationship. I give money to people. I'm not going to lend money to people. It changes the relationship. So it says, then one of the crowds said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, man, who made me your judge and arbitrar? He said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. This is verse 15. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Our lives are never consistent. It doesn't matter how much stuff you have. I tell people, you can have as much stuff as you want as long as that stuff doesn't have you. If that stuff has you, then now you're in covetousness. Now you're looking to things rather than God. You can have as much stuff as you want. Look at Solomon. Look at Abraham. Look at so many of the Old Testament people, even New Testament people that had money, wealth, riches. God's not worried unless that wealth, riches has you. We're meant to be using those things as a tool. We're not meant to be lavishing on ourselves and looking to those and worshipping those things. So he said, um, your life doesn't uh, consist in the abundance of things you possess. Then he spoke a parable to him and said this, a ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought to himself, look at this, it's very interesting. This is how money touches us at heart level. He thought within himself. So this man was meditating, thinking about this. And Mammon was speaking to him. He was there and his heart was speaking to him. He was touching him at heart level. He was saying, you know what? He said, what am I going to do? I've got no more room to store my crops. He was so wealthy, he had so many crops, he had no more room to store them. Well, guess what he should have done? He should start giving those crops away. Once he had enough for himself, he could have started giving those away. But it says right here, he says, I'll do this. I'll pull down my old barns, I'll build bigger barns, and then I'll store my crops and my goods. Now, here's his problem. There's nothing wrong, really, with that. If you wanna, there's nothing wrong with saving money and storing money. In fact, people say, well, if you save money, that's lack of faith. Well, Proverbs 11.24 says there's one who withholds more than is right. You can withhold what is right. It's not lack of faith to have savings. It's good business to have savings, investments, store money. That's fine. As long as you're not looking to that and, and relying on that and making that your source and making that your trust and your hope and security. As long as God is still your, your hope and security. And the way I look at it is, as long as I'm willing to give it away if God tells me to. Now, if God tells you to give everything away, you might want confirmation. You might want to pray about that. But if God tells you to give it away, are you willing to give it away? So right here, he built these bigger barns. And then in verse 18, he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns, build bigger barns, and store my goods. Verse 19, this is where we got it wrong. In verse 19, he says, I'll say to my soul, soul, you have plenty of goods laid up. For many years, you can take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. See, he was trusting in money. He was trusting his riches rather than trusting God. He was trusting in money. And it says here, but God said to him, full this night, your soul will be required of you. Then those whose things which have been provided... So, and then who's those things will be provided? Who's, who, where are they going to go? You can't take them with you. You can't take those things to heaven. What are you going to do with them? They're no, they're no longer yours anymore. 
It says here, so he who is, so Jesus said, so is he who lays up treasure for himself that's not rich towards God. We need to be rich towards God, put God first. Money will touch our heart. And what happens is if we're not careful, we can get into covetousness. That's why Jesus warns us. And we look at other people maybe with money and start being covetous towards them. There's lots of warnings about this. Paul warns about this in, in 1 Timothy 6. He talks about how take heed, make sure that, you know, warn those people. Because it's very easy, because it touches us at heart level, it's very easy to all of a sudden look at other people or look at what other people are doing and get covetous. People don't believe me. How many of you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, how many of you ever judged another person, say, they don't need that? What have they bought that for? They don't need that. Years ago, I'd, one of my neighbors bought a brand new truck. I used to pass their truck. I said, brand new truck, that's a nice truck. I want my truck like myself, that's a nice truck. And then a few weeks later, he bought a second brand new truck. One for work, one for pleasure. Two brand new trucks on his driveway. And every day I'd drive past and say, why do you need two trucks for? He can only drive one at a time. He doesn't need two brand new trucks. And I'd make a comment every time I drive past, every time. And then finally my kids said, Dad, they said, why are you so concerned about his two brand new trucks? <laughs> and this one of my kids said, I forget which one it was now, Josh was out, he said, is it because you haven't got a brand new truck that you're worried about his brand new trucks? <laughs> I said, conviction. I was like, that's true. Anyway, a few months later, supernaturally, Jesus gave me a nice brand new truck. Better than my neighbor's truck. And I didn't worry about my neighbor's truck anymore because I had my brand new truck. So I tell people this. If you're concerned about brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so's house, car, truck, jet, whatever, you haven't really got a problem with their house. You've got a problem with your house. Because if your house is bigger than their house, you wouldn't care. So we have to be careful because I'm telling you, the enemy is very subtle and will get us into covetousness. Jesus warned us about it and we'll start judging other people's use of money. He'll start judging, we'll start judging other people's uh, use of things and, and forget that the actual fact, you know what? That's between them and God. Most people I know that are super successful are super givers. In fact, everyone I know, even, even people that don't really know the Lord that well are still givers one way or another. It's amazing. So don't judge other people for how that. It doesn't go well. Covetousness doesn't work well for us. There's lots of stories. It, 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 was the, it was the downfall of Judas, covetousness. He loved the Lord, but guess what happened? He got covetous. He saw Mary give that big offering to Jesus, and he got jealous. In fact, John's gospel just names and shames it. I love it. Because John's gospel was written later, he just names people. It was Mary who gave the, the, uh, the oil to Jesus. It was Mary who anointed Jesus' feet. And it was Judas who said, what a waste. We shouldn't give this offering to God. We should sell it and give it to the poor. Doesn't that sound noble? We should sell. We could sell this and give it to the poor. We shouldn't have this big building. We could give the money to the poor. We shouldn't have this, this whatever it is. We could give the money to the poor. That's what Judas said. And he, John even says, not that he wanted the, to give to the poor, but he wanted the money for himself because he's a thief. Covetousness is when we judge other people's things. So it was a downfall of Judas, it was a downfall of Ananias and Sapphira. It could go on and on. It's, it's very dangerous. You can only serve one master. So beware of covetousness. And then the last thing, real quickly, is it touches other people's hearts. Your generosity, the way you use your money, touches other people's hearts. You can cause people to give thanks. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, I believe, talks about how people are giving thanks. You'll make people thankful. You'll actually make people turn to God. We've used money to preach the gospel in a verse. We was at a restaurant one time. We had the most moody server. Like, she was, bless her heart. I was like, I was a bit offended. I was like, we're paying her to be here. She needs to serve us. And Kai's like, she's probably having a really bad day. Love her. So we're loving on her. I'm smiling. She's not smiling. I'm being very nice. She's just grunting, throwing my food down, and everything else. So anyway, we didn't even order that much. But anyway, we gave her the regular tip, and then I gave her an extra $100 bill tip. I just felt led to do that. She ran us down, grabbed Carly and hugged her and started crying and said, thank you so much. And then Carly got to minister to her. She had had a bad day. I won't go into the details, but minister to her and tell her about the Lord. You can preach the gospel. You can touch people's hearts with generosity, with money. 
It's a tool, praise God. You can actually use it to touch other people's hearts. It's amazing that you can do that. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And one way you can care for people is helping them. It's helping them and, and, and giving benevolently and helping people. Now, use wisdom. Sometimes giving people money isn't the best thing. You know, sometimes they need other things. But help people. Um, give to people. Be generous. The generosity. The Lord's a generous spirit. Isaiah 51, I believe. The Lord's a generous spirit. So when we show that generosity, we're showing the nature of God. It's powerful, praise God. It's powerful. And then the last couple of minutes I have here, I have a, a couple of things I wanted to, want to share with you. You know, um, whenever I teach on any type of giving, I always have people say to me, well, actually, I'm, I don't give for these reasons. So I just want to go over these reasons real quickly so I haven't got no excuses, okay? Because I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you give your whole heart to the Lord. So here's just a few excuses real quickly. Um, I've got here, some people say, well, I just give when I feel led. Okay, well, if you're just asking your flesh and your soul when to give, it's going to say, should we give now? No, let's not give today. Okay, we won't give. How much should we give? We'll just give $10. Okay, I'll just give $10. Like, you can't trust your feelings and when to give, just so you know. The Lord's very clear on ways to give, how to give, and even how much to give. So you don't need to ask, now, is it right to ask? Yeah, I pray, and I say, Lord, how much? And I try and listen to the Spirit. But most of my giving, 80% of my giving isn't done by just listening to the Lord. Okay, I'll give this much. It's actually set out. I know what percentages I'm already giving. When money comes in, I'm already giving those percentages. I'm already committed to those partnerships. So I wouldn't trust my soul enough to just give whenever I feel led. I do give when God leads me, but also give when I'm not feeling led because I know what the Word says. I give according to the Word. Another, another thing I have, people say to me, they say, well, they say, I, 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 don't, I don't give money. I just give my time and prayers. Uh-oh. Give your time and prayers. That's awesome. It's awesome praying. I love that. That's great. But we're also called to give financially. So you have to give financially. You really do. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's just a, read the word. You have to give financially. You can't use prayer as a substitute for giving financially. I can't afford to give. If you can't afford to give, you're the one that needs to give more than anyone. The reason why you can't afford to give is because you're not trusting God with your finances. I'm trying to help you. Proverbs 11:24 says, There's one who scatters, gives generously, yet increases more. Yet there's one who lacks is withholds, and it leads to poverty. You know, whenever me and Carly are going through a difficult time financially, whether it's personally, in our ministry, in our businesses, the first thing I look at is our giving. Has our giving decreased somewhere? Because if we're lacking financially, it's usually somewhere we've, we've stopped giving somewhere or we haven't been given as much as we should have been giving. Giving only brings money to you. It doesn't take money from you. I also have here that, um, it says here, I'll give when I have extra. If you, if you have that attitude, you'll give when you have extra, or I'll leave the giving to the rich people. If you won't give now off of $10, you'll never give off of $100,000. Jesus said in Luke 16, you're faithful with the little, you're going to be faithful with much. How you're treating the little right now is how you're going to walk into the much. And if, you're not, if, you, if you just think, well, one day when I have extra, I'm going to give, that's ne- that day is never going to come. And even if you did have extra, you still wouldn't give because you're not giving what you have now. Praise the Lord. And then last one, I've got here. I'm not giving because that church, ministry, minister, person, whatever, doesn't need my money. It's not always about need. Jesus said, the poor you'll have with your ways. Should we give benevolently? Yes, I totally believe in benevolent giving. But you know what? We don't just give to need. We give where, we, where the Lord's tend us to give. We give where the anointing is. We give, we give up, first of all. You tithe up. You tithe to the church you're being fed from. You tithe. You give offerings and, and, and sow places where you're being fed. And if there's people need it or not, it's irrelevant. The Queen of Sheba came to Solomon. Do you think Solomon needed an offering from the Queen of Sheba? He was the richest man in the world. He didn't need an offering. But she gave him an offering and her heart was fulfilled. It touched her heart. It touched Solomon's heart. Giving touches people's hearts. It touches the Lord's heart. It touches your heart. It touches the hearts of others. Praise God. And I want to help you by saying this. When you give, you're giving God your whole heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you're not trusting God with your finances, there's a part of your heart the Lord hasn't got access to, 
And there's some things you're not going to be able to receive from the Lord because you're not giving him full access to your heart. I'm going to pray for you. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you've set this up, that we can give to you and we can give our whole hearts to you, Lord. And right now, Lord, every single one of us, Lord, we want to give our whole hearts to you, Lord. Lord, we don't want any part of our lives that, that aren't open to you. We open our whole lives up to you, Lord, every part of it, including the finances, including the money, including the, the, the scary things all we're worried about, how we're going to pay the bills, how we're going to make ends meet. Maybe right now, Maybe right now you're one of those people that are worried. You're thinking right now in your mind, as I'm saying this, you're thinking, that's all very well for Ashley to say, but I just don't know how I'm going to get through the day or get through the week or get through the month. You know, God wants to help you. God wants to prosper you. God wants to take you and promote you and put you on a new level. But you're going to have to let him in. Let the Lord into every area of your life. He's only got good for you. He's only got good for you. That's you right now. Just let the Lord in. Say, Lord, I repent of not letting you in on my finances. And right now, Lord, I let you into every part of my life. I thank you, Lord, that we are opening our hearts up, Lord. We're giving you our whole heart. We're giving you every piece that we have, Lord. We're giving, we're, we're giving you access to our whole lives. And I thank you, Lord, you only have good for us. You never take from us, Lord. You only give to us. And I thank you, Lord, we're receiving more from you, Lord. We're receiving the full promises of God as we open our hearts up to you in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. You still love me? Okay, that's good. Praise the Lord. Okay, Pastor Lawson, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.